You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome, everybody. I am Derek Bonner. I'm now joined by Rich Hoffman and Mike O'Connor of The Athletic Philadelphia, my, my colleagues over at the not newly launched, but newly newly announced Athletic Vertical. How are you guys doing? Pretty good, man. I got a new job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess when you put it that way, it does typically qualify as a good day. Um, a real quick introduction if you're not familiar with The Athletic or if you missed this week's announcement, but... The Athletic is basically a subscription-based sports website focused on local teams and marketed towards diehard fans. And they started off in Chicago before then expanding to Toronto, Cleveland, uh, Detroit, San Francisco, and now there's actually two national verticals in the works in college basketball and college football. But Philadelphia is next. Um, They tapped Shiel Kapadia and I to kind of kickstart that process and go out and hire the remaining staff. And I'm beyond excited to have, you know, Rich and Mike here with me to cover the Sixers. And Shiel Kapati is obviously going to be writing a lot about the, the Eagles. He's actually going to be writing about other sports as well. But he's going to be focused a little bit on the Eagles. And Shiel is, he's absolutely incredible. I'm very excited to have him back in Philadelphia. I actually, when I went to Philadelphia Magazine, I made a sales pitch to them. And the reason I chose them to make a sales pitch to is because of Shiel and the way he was able to differentiate himself in this market and the freedom they gave him to go out there and craft his own unique voice. He's a tremendous writer, a tremendous bas- or a tremendous football mind, and I think everybody is, by and large, a reception has been ex- you know, ecstasy that he is back in the market and covering the Eagles, and, uh, and he's going to be, it, it's just great to have him back. He's also going to have Bull Wolf there with him. And then for the Flyers, we have Charlie O'Connor. And Charlie is from, you know, Broad Street Hockey and BSH, BSH Radio. Uh, he is really differentiated himself as a, you know, being able to talk the statistics, do video breakdowns, know the game inside and out, and be able to really mesh everything together in a way that he's able to, you know, really explain the game. And I think he fits the, the staff that we have here, and I think he really is able to differentiate himself as a hockey writer and I think his his platform, his voice is going to grow, and I think people are going to realize how special of a writer he is. So I think you know you have all those guys there. We're going to we're continuing to reach out and talk to people. We're going to have more hires, more people come on board. But that's kind of the gist of it right now. Uh, I'm very excited about the staff that we have, and you know I kind of sound like a little bit like a general manager here, where you know every draft they say, oh man, I can't believe this guy fell. I can't believe I was able to draft him at you know fourth overall. He was number one on my board. But I kid you not, I got all of my top targets. When when I started talking to Alex Mather, the CEO, I said, I want Rich on my staff with me, and I want Mike on my staff. And to be able to have this group going into uh, going into, going into into this season, going into this pivotal time period in the Sixers, it is it is incredible. So so welcome aboard, and uh, can't wait. Can't wait. Thank you. Yeah, and, and just to add on to that, like, I just want to, you know, give a shout out to everybody on Twitter yesterday. The response was was unbelievable. I'm just, I was really, really, you know, happy to hear everybody's kind words and just to see everybody's really excited about uh, the coverage that we're going to bring. It's it's really exciting. Yeah, I mean, with the business model, the subscription model, basically, what we're told, you know, from our higher ups and and Derek and Shield is 
do your best work and make it unique and stand out from the rest of the crowd. And that is a challenge that I know all three of us are looking forward to attempting. You know, we're there's no uh, there's no ads on this site. There's no there's going to be no clickbait. We're no not, autoplay uh, video. I'm so I can't stand autoplay video. It's my pet peeve. Yep, and uh, all it is is going to be good. Hopefully, the best content we can we can provide you. And I, I know with the three of us, I mean, we're going to go. Mike's going to go heavy in the video and, and breaking stuff down. I'm going to dabble in that too. Derek is going to go in depth on everything he's already gone on in depth on. And you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully, as the Sixers sort of start to make their ascent and. Uh, the, the process continues to turn on here. Hopefully we'll be able to uh, to chronicle that the best for you guys. Yeah, I mean, the business model is – it really is key. And, look, I was – seven months ago when Philadelphia Magazine closed its, closed its stores on sports coverage, I, I really had no idea whether I would – I mean, I knew I would write, you know, maybe start up my own blog, write in my spare time when my day job would allow it. But I really had no idea whether I would ever be credentialed for another game before, whether whether I would ever get hired by an outlet again. In large part because I didn't, I had no interest in just writing about the team to write about the team. I had to do it, you know, in my way to my audience the way I wanted to do it. And those opportunities just don't really exist in large part because the business model and the ad-driven revenue model doesn't allow that. You have to get as many visitors as you can. You have to write to the widest audience. You have to do things like, you know, aggregate content and clickbait articles and, and all that kind of stuff and get out there for SEO and get out there for, you know, referrals and social media and be first and, and, and speed is more important than depth and quality. And I don't blame anybody who does that because that's what the ad that's that's what the ad revenue model dictates. That's how you have to survive. And as we're seeing in a lot of places, Survival isn't even really an option. I mean, when ESPN, I don't think anybody really realized how dependent ESPN was on television revenue to fund their writing written content. And I think that was a shock to everybody. You know, I think having a subscription model, while, while there's not a whole lot of people right now who are accustomed to paying for content, it does divorce yourself then from having to, you know, create content that is the same as everybody else. It allows you to focus. It incentivizes you to write in the right way. And everything we write is going to be, well, what value am I adding? It's not going to be the same, you know, aggregated content, the same, well, this news happens, so we have to write the same 300-word article that has the same basic content as 18 different other outlets. We really want to try to, like I said, add value in every article that we wrote. Who knows whether or not that will actually be the case, whether we can succeed in that, but that is the stated goal, that is the mandate that was given down to me, and that is the staff that I went out and tried to hire for. So, you know, check it out, theathletic.com slash Philly. If you just, all you have to do, you don't even have to sign up to, to, you don't have to pay anything right now. Just enter your email address in there. If you do that, you'll get 20% off of a yearly subscription. Uh, it's $60 a year for the base price, $48 a year if you sign up now. Uh, and I'm excited. I'm excited to get going. I'm a little less excited. You know, I spent yesterday on, on pretty much Cloud9 as we announced this, and, and we kind of do a little bit of a media tour and all, and all that that comes with it. And then I sat down at the end of the night, and I went, well, fuck, man. We're still a month away from training camp starting. It was a little bit of a buzzkill, but still very excited about what is to come. All right, let's get on to the actual team that we are all paid by the same outlet to write about. At the center of most fans' thoughts, you know, grainy footage of Ben Simmons playing five-on-five basketball. 
pickup basketball in Australia, which, believe me, this is my favorite thing to talk about when we're analyzing how many points the number one pick scores in pickup basketball in Australia against people who are shorter than me and probably less athletic than me. And that's, trust me, that's not saying a whole lot. When we're analyzing his performance there, it's, it's, you know, you're in August in the NBA. But what came out of that then, once you see him playing, you then naturally ask the team. It's hard for the team then to deny, oh, he's not cleared for five on five. So they admit he's cleared for five on five. They say Embiid is not. So I guess first a general reaction on Simmons being cleared, and then we'll get to Embiid. They, uh, the players he was playing against in that game, they made Joel Embiid's trainers look like uh, NBA <laughs> players for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I hey, Drew Hanlon can play. He, can, he doesn't he can, look yeah, like he it, but he can play. He can play. Um, yeah, no, I you know he's it's good to see that Ben is playing, but like, really, are, are we that surprised? I mean, you know, it, it's you're only let in so much through the last couple months, and most of that's via social media. But when you see the guy throwing the ball off the wall and dunking, like at some point you have to real you have to think like, all right, logically, like this guy could play right now if he wanted to. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, it's good to see that, that Ben's running up and down the floor and playing, but like even in the in the case of Joel, and I'll jump there a little bit, like is there that much five-on-five five basketball to be played right now? Like, I mean, you can play in, in Melbourne and, you know, get a quick run in, but it's not like this is like the, uh, you know, the hot season for playing five-on-five. Five. LeBron had to fly to New York to get a good game a couple weeks ago. So as a matter of, like, is he clear to play five-on-five, five, it's not like the Sixers are practicing or even the whole team's scrimmaging right now. So, so yeah, I think, like, both of those guys in general, I would imagine they're on track to play in training camp. But even if Joel isn't cleared, like, you know, I've seen him go through full workout stuff two, almost two months ago now. Like, there's, there's no way that even if he's not playing five-on-five, five, there's no way he's not progressing to that level yet. Yeah, I'm with you, Rich. I mean, I think that, like, one of the first things you hear out of every rookie that plays in Summer League is, oh, I haven't played 5-on-5 since the college season. Like, I just don't think there's a lot of 5-on-5 played, which is why I was so confused to hear that, you know, Embiid hasn't been cleared for 5-on-5. Like, like, what do you mean? You're clearing him. He's not cleared for something that's not even going to happen. But, I mean, regardless, I think that, you know, both of those guys really appear to be, at least physically, just from us watching them, to be on track to, to start training camp. I, I can't imagine any reason. You know, I think that, like, right now, I don't think it's a cause for concern at all if, you know, three weeks from now we still hear, oh, Embiid might not be cleared for 5-on-5 at the start of training camp. Then I think we really have to start asking some questions, and then I think that's when we really kind of dive in, like, retroactively to see, you know, wh- what did we miss along this timeline that, that you know, Embiid is not cleared for? Like, what, what did we miss here? But I think that right now, I don't think there's really a big cause for concern for for Embiid. Yeah, I mean the the I think I said this on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, and I said this recently on the radio. I think, and this is part speculation, part having talked to people in the industry, part knowing Joel Embiid and his mentality. But I think with a guy like Embiid, when he gets to the point where he ramps up to playing in games, and not just the physical exertion of playing in five on five games, but Somebody stepping on his foot, landing awkwardly from a jump, a bump that maybe he doesn't then get a, a correct plant on. You know, I think they want their staff, their coaches, their training staff there to look at him when these kind of things happen, to 
be there if they need to even just take a take a peek at his knee or his his foot to see how he reacts after you know the day after doing something like this. And I think it's far more just you know being in the right situation, having the right people around him when this activity does ramp up, than it is a problem with his meniscus. And I think part of it will also if you tell Joel Embiid, okay, you're clear from five on, for five on five. The first thing Joel Embiid is going to do is play in as many five-on-five games as he can. This is a guy who hasn't played organized basketball in quite some time now, and we know that he has, you know, reacted adversely to that in the past. So I think that, you know, if they want him around their staff when he does ramp up, telling him he's cleared right now is probably not the best way to go about that. Um, I don't think it is too big of a cause for concern right now, but I also understand the fans' perspective that, and this is something, you know, they said that. Uh, ben Simmons was cleared months ago for 5-on-5. Well, if you did the hard part in telling the athlete he can play 5-on-5, why the hell not tell the fans? And this is something where, you know, Mike said if in three weeks he's still not cleared, then you have concern. Well, that's kind of like the Joel Embiid or the Jaleel Okafor situation last year, where all year he's fine, he's fine, he's fine, and he gets a camp and he can't play. So I think from a fan's perspective, you want that confirmation that Joel Embiid is physically capable of playing 5-on-5 but I don't know if you're going to get that beforehand because, like I said, I think I think there's a chance they just might want him around their 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 staff when he does take that jump. Yeah, they don't want him playing in the NBA Africa game. Right. Right. Exactly. Because, exactly. because they don't have any of their staff over there. They they actually did. I think Lloyd Pierce was over yeah. there, but they didn't have any of their their medical staff over there. And yeah, it, it's like you said. I mean, I, I think he he even said a few weeks ago that that he wasn't cleared to play five on five and. I mean, I mean, that seems like the company line, right? Like, it seems like he's on board with, I'm not going to play five on five until I get back to Philly. And, I mean, it seems like, you know, he'll be back here. I think he is already back here now. Um, I, I, I would imagine he'll be fine by training camp. But, yeah, I mean, as far as the fan is concerned, I, I understand, like, Julio Okafor with this same injury last year, same, you know, short timetable, and that dragged on the entire season. Yeah, I get why there's cause for concern. I just there's there's no way to know exactly what's going on right now. Yeah, I, I think you guys are right that it, it might just be like a, a precautionary thing that they don't want him to be able to go anywhere he pleases and play five on five because they know you know the way that his brain works and how he's going to play when he gets out there because we've seen him in so many workout videos you know doing explosive movements and running all over the court. I mean that's pretty much the same type of activity that you would see in a five on five game. But I think that the Sixers just probably feel more comfortable, you know, not clearing him and having him do that kind of stuff in their controlled environment as opposed to letting him roam free this summer. I mean, I'm entirely speculating here, but I think that would be a logical, you know, thing to do. I mean, like like Rich, I saw him working out in June, and he was making every move in the book, and he was explosive and quick. And he was dunking and then sprinting to the three point line and then sprinting the floor. Like, yeah, he was. I mean, he was. He was. He looked incredible. And if it's going to come up where in September he is still not ready to go, then something happens. And even if now, if he's not physically capable of playing five-on-five, five, something happens. And that doesn't mean that the Sixers would tell us if something happened because their track record suggests they probably wouldn't. But until I get information that he uh, uh, that there was a setback or that he's not going to be ready, like really not going to be ready for camp, whether or not they, to- they told him at this point to go out and play five-on-five, in pickup games or in Africa, I'm not, I'm not too. Like I said, I'd, I'd like a little, I'd like to be reaffirmed a little bit, a little confirmation that, that he's progressing, that he's capable of it. But I don't, I'm not too, uh, I'm not too concerned here. 
All right, we're going to get into the Kyrie Irving trade in a second, but first a quick word from Harry's. Over the weekend, I placed an order to refill my blades, 16 high-quality razor blades for $28, shipped directly to my door. That combination of high quality and great cost keeps me a faithful Harry's customer, and I couldn't be happier. It's also why Jeff and Andy founded Harry's to begin with. If you give Harry's a chance, I'm confident you're going to be happy with your shave. Luckily, the fine folks at Harry's have the trial set just for you. The set includes a weighted, ergonomic razor handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich, lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Overall, that's a $13 value you get for free when you sign up. You just cover the shipping costs. To get your free trial set, head on over to harrys.com slash sixersbeat right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com slash sixersbeat. All right, let's get, uh, let's get to the NBA news and the Kyrie Irving trade. The trade, as a reminder, was Kyrie Irving for Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Ante Zizic, and the vaunted 2018 Brooklyn first-round pick. This, uh, this obviously has the chance to impact the Sixers in a number of ways, from the, from the budding you know, Celtics-Sixers rivalry to whether or not LeBron could leave next summer in free agency. So I guess we'll leave this as kind of an open question, but how do you think this impacts the Sixers and Sixers fans going forward? So I think that like a very sneaky amount of the fallout of this trade is going to depend on Isaiah Thomas's health. Like if he if he is healthy this year and he seems like you're going to be able to get three or four more really good years out of him, then I think it's entirely logical to expect LeBron to stay, especially with you know given the flexibility of what they can do with that Brooklyn pick. So I think that his health is going to be a really really huge dictator of what LeBron ends up deciding to do and you know how just how well they play together. So if if say Isaiah you know comes out and his hip is lingering and, and the, the team doesn't quite mesh as well as expected, well, I don't see any reason why LeBron doesn't bolt. So in that case, you're looking at the Celtics being, you know, the, the top of the East pretty, you know, by a pretty good margin. And when you look at, you know, if, if we kind of project this out to when the Sixers are really going to be competing with them, I think that the Celtics really don't match up well with the Sixers at all. No. Like if you look at Al Horford and, and, and Morris, that's, one of the worst rebounding front courts in the entire NBA. And I, I just don't see any way that anyone on their roster really is going to be able to defend Embiid. And then when you throw Ben Simmons in the mix, you know, if they're sharing the front court together, I, I mean, I, I really struggle to see how the Celtics are going to keep up with that. The Celtics have traded, you know, two of their best and, like, you know, guys that I would call, like, connecting defenders. Like, Bradley and, and Crowder kind of were able to cover up a lot of the mistakes of, of some of the worst defenders on their team. So I think that, you know, if you're the Celtics, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed that they got Kyrie Irving, but at the same time, I have a lot of questions about some of the decisions they made there, and I think that they're just putting an awful lot of eggs in the baskets of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum being able to be really, really good and versatile players very soon. For some reason, the, the play that sticks out to me, and it's, I mean, there is a reason it was awesome, is... I think it was a game in Boston in, like, January. At the end of the game, the Sixers ended up losing, but Joel Embiid, I think he pump faked on Al Horford and dunked, like, you know, we, we always bring up, like, he makes a basket look like a Nerf hoop. He, I mean, he, like, actually tore down the Boston Garden on a play, and it was kind of indicative of, like, even though the Celtics were good last year, the Sixers, 
I think they, they, they won one game, and the other three were super tight. And, yeah, it's just – I it goes back to this, and I think Derek said this on Twitter. Like, who on that team is stopping anybody now? I mean, it, it's weird to say they probably upgraded their point guard defense with Kyrie Irving a little bit, but it, it not by a lot. It's not like they have a stopper there by any means. And, I mean, yeah, they, they lost Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder, who were really valuable players. Like, Avery Bradley, awesome at guarding ones and twos. And, and Jay Crowder, like, look, I mean, he couldn't guard LeBron, but, but nobody could. And, I mean, he was a really valuable, you know, switchy type of four defender in a way that I'm not sure uh, Marcus Morris is in, in any terms. The big takeaway for me was a couple things from the trade. One, I couldn't believe Cleveland got that much from Kyrie for Kyrie Irving. Just as everybody knew that Kyrie wanted out, they had no leverage. They had the ticking time bomb of LeBron can leave in a year to get two. I mean, Isaiah Thomas was better than Kyrie Irving last year. You could argue that Kyrie's more valuable in the playoffs because, like, I, I think his one-on-one scoring is really valuable. You can just see the, the shot he hit over Steph Curry at the end of the finals. But Isaiah Thomas was better in the regular season. And to get Crowder, a player who they frankly couldn't acquire with with their cap constraints and everything, to, to get that type of guy who can take a little bit of the defensive pressure off LeBron and that Brooklyn pick, I mean, to get all three of those things, that's amazing. And then from Boston's standpoint, I guess you look at it like, well, I'm surprised you didn't want Jimmy Butler then. Yeah. Or, I mean, I understand Paul George, you know, maybe you had the, the intel that he was he was bolting next year anyway. But, I, like, I, you couldn't trump the Jimmy Butler package with just – they gave up a ton for Kyrie Irving. And, I, I mean, it's just – I still think Boston's in a good spot. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not one of these guys that – Oh, man, Danny Ainge is a moron. Like, he's built a really strong roster, but I'm not sure I would have taken the path he took this summer. No, I think I think a much more interesting long-term path was drafting Fultz, trading Isaiah Thomas for what you could have gotten. Now, granted, his value isn't what it would have been because of the injury, but it's still, I mean, that's still a, a name that had an incredible season, and you could have gotten something for him. But drafting Fultz, keeping that Brooklyn pick, maybe trading it for somebody like Butler or George, like you said, and trading Thomas and cashing out on him while they could. And you, I mean, you still had the cap space to make that uh, the Gordon Hayward move too. So I don't, I don't necessarily, you know, if they wanted to get younger at point guard, and that's really what I think this trade was about. It was about getting younger at point guard and a guy that you can build around long term. I just would have gone that Fultz route instead. Um, it's, you know, I don't like you guys. Everybody's focused on Irving and. Thomas. And I think Irving is a much better building block long term. I get that. I'm not sure I would have given up the the Brooklyn pick for that, but I get it. But I think in terms of competing now, and maybe that's not what this trade is about at all. You know, who knows? But losing Crowder is a huge blow. And like you guys said, his his defense, his versatility, his improved shooting, his his contract, which is one of the best in the league, was really important to that team. And I know I saw I saw Ben Falk, I think he tweeted that they were like a in terms of, of differential. They were like a 61 team when Crowder was on the court, and like a 24 win team when he was on the bench. And clearly, there's a lot of noise to that. But there's, if you look through their their top lineups, Crowder is almost always involved in it. And I think he played a very important role. And I think his, he's going to be missed a lot more than than they think. And the combination of losing Bradley, great one on one defender, 
and a guy like Crowder, who's a really versatile defender who can switch, I think that's going to be bigger than they expect. And, I mean, you know, they're at the point, yeah, you got Kyrie, legitimate building block, you got Gordon Hayward. But that cap flexibility they had a year ago, two years ago, that's gone. Those those Boston picks, or the, the Brooklyn picks that they've counted on, they've now basically cashed those in. And you end up with Jason Tatum, um, Jalen Brown, and Kyrie Irving. So what you have now with that team, they're going to have to make that work. And I think that's a very flawed roster. And I can't, I, I just can't see that core being a top 10 defensive team unless they can get a real game changer at center somehow. And I'm not sure, not sure they necessarily have the flexibility or the pieces to do that. Yeah, I'm looking at their, their defensive rating. I mean, they were, they were fourth two years ago. Then they bring in Al Horford, and they're, they were 13th last year. Like, I think they're going the wrong direction in that regard. Obviously, I mean, Kyrie and Gordon Hayward are going to be a lot of fun to watch offensively. Throw throw in Brad Stevens, who, I, who really knows what he's doing, despite the fact that he's coaching for his job all the time. <laughs> um, he, I, I think that team is going to be a lot of fun to watch offensively because, you know, you have Horford with pick and pops. You know, we'll, we'll see with, with the young guys, with Jalen Brown and uh, – and Jason Tatum, but but yeah, like offensively, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. But as far as you know, they have a lot committed to Al Horford at center, and I, I just wonder, like, you know, who who are they stopping? They're certainly not stopping Cleveland next year, and and that's another interesting question. Like, do you think this makes it more likely that LeBron stays? I think, like, you know, like I said, I think a ton of it just depends on Isaiah. And, you know, I, I don't I don't know if anybody really knows what we're going to get out of him. Like, if I look at it from, like, the, the Celtics' perspective, I think that they kind of viewed Isaiah as a sunk cost. And I think that they knew that they were not going to pay him, so they knew that they had to get something out of, out of him while they could. So when you flip into the Cavs, I think it's really interesting. Like, they have so much more leverage than the Celtics did to give him a shorter-term contract. Like, the Celtics almost – couldn't stand to not give him a five-year contract. They just they just couldn't do it. But if you're the, if you're the the Cavs, then you know you could say, hey Isaiah, you know you could get a five-year deal somewhere else, or you know you could have a three-year deal and get three chances of winning a championship with LeBron. So I think they have a ton more leverage, and I think that that kind of makes Isaiah more valuable to the Cavs than he would have been to the Celtics. So you know I just think that. Between Isaiah, you know, I, I, I do have a lot of hope that he could be a good piece for them for a, a couple more years, but I think a lot of it will also depend on how that Brooklyn pick shakes out and what they end up deciding to do with that. Um, I think maybe if you get towards the, the trade deadline and, and that pick is looking like it's going to be top three and the team's performing really well, do they package that with, with Kevin Love or even just trade it individually to get another good piece for them to, to gear up for the Warriors? I don't know. I mean, that, that pick is a crazy good asset. Like, you know, we'll, we'll see. Obviously, Brooklyn may have a chance to be better this year. But, yeah, that, I mean, that's what I was thinking. Like, if LeBron gave them the heads up, hey, if you can land this guy, I'll at least stick around for a year or two more. I mean, Cle- Cleveland would do that. Like, they they would do anything to keep LeBron for a couple more years. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what I would say about Cleveland is they're a little bit more combustible. Like, there's a little bit more... Uh, variety and how their season can unfold. Like clearly, and not by, by that I mean from before when before Kyrie making his trade request public. But I think you know there's a chance that that Thomas's injury is a problem, 
and that would derail their season quite a bit. Um, but there's also a chance that he's healthy and that they can use that draft pick to get another high-level contributor to to you know make a series against the Warriors a little bit more realistic, where Crowder can really play an important role that they haven't had in quite a while. And they could end up being a better team this year than they would have been with, with Kyrie and certainly would have been when you looked at the prospects of what they could have gotten in a Kyrie trade just you know a week ago and what we were all expecting. So I think there is, you know, ultimately I think there was a chance before, you know, a couple days ago that LeBron could have left the end of the year, and I think I think that chance is probably still pretty much, uh, you know, pretty much in line with where it was. But I think there's just there's way more variety in the way that their season can unfold. It, it's really a great trade. Like it's 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 so fun to look at, and I mean, it could, as you said, it could go in a bunch of different directions. Because yeah, it's like Cleveland. Not to say they were getting stale. I mean, watching LeBron play basketball is like a goddamn blessing. Like it's it's awesome at all times. But we kind of knew what that team was, and now when you add in somebody like Crowder, who I think you know you don't want to look too far ahead, but a player like that will help against Golden State more than pretty much you know any player they could have reasonably acquired in a trade. You know, I, I you know, and then you get the Brooklyn pick too. Like I I think like you said though, I think. Um. Yeah, they are more combustible. There, there is more of a downside. But my feeling is the upside's higher with this team now. We'll see. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And and you know, I also kind of getting back to the the Sixers a little bit. I think like Derek, you kind of touched on how this is like the Celtics' flexibility is pretty much out. Like this is this is the manifestation of their plan. You know, in in place. Like this is exactly what we're gonna see you know, in their, their future roster. And I think that for a long time, Sixers fans were kind of wondering, like, you know, who is going to be our, our competition at the top of the East? And I think we're we're looking at it straight in the face right now. And I don't know, you, you guys can tell me what you think, but I'm, I'm really not that concerned about Boston. Like, I think that if we're looking five years down the road, I think the Sixers will, will you know, assuming health, obviously, will match up with them really, really well. Yeah, I mean, you're, you know, a lot of the conversation early in the summer was, you know, well, they passed on Paul George, they passed on Jimmy Butler, but man, watch out for Anthony Davis if he becomes available. Well, they don't, they don't really have the assets to go out there and get Anthony Davis anymore. Like, I can't, I can't see them putting a package together that would really be, and it's hard to say because superstars always get traded for what seems like crap, so maybe I'm completely off base here. But they don't have those high-level draft picks outside of the Lakers pick, which is still a, still a really good asset. But the number of ways they can go about putting together a package is far less. And if this is a team that they're building around long-term for the future, unless Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown really take that jump that, you know, certainly as number three overall picks and, and either a year or a year of experience or a rookie, it's not out of the cards. But they would have to really improve for me to look at that team and say, man, I don't think, you know, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and Markel Fultz can compete with that. I'm, I'm Barring health, and that's, Every discussion we have for the Sixers over the next five years is going to have that qualifier in there. But barring health, I certainly prefer the Sixers' core, which is is crazy because, look, Kyrie and Hayward and, and Horford, they're all good players. I just don't really see them meshing well together. I really don't. My general criticism of Boston this year, even when they were sitting on that treasure trove of assets, was, all right, but where is your top five player? Where is your, yeah. like, bona fide top ten player who can take you to a title and – I mean, the answer was he's not here yet. He's either going to be available in the trade or we're going to draft him or whatever. He's not here. We have a lot of good pieces, but we don't have that guy. Well, 
I mean, they've, they've cashed in a lot of their chips, and they have Gordon Hayward, who I think he's a top 20 player. He's really good. I mean, like really good offensive player, uh, you know, one of the better wings, as we said, like at a position where it's hard to get a player who can do all the things he can do. And then Kyrie Irving, who is sort of in the same boat. I mean, he's an, he's an offensive point guard. He's awesome, but... Again, I mean, the reason they were making the finals was because they had LeBron James. And Joel Embiid, I mean, his his ceiling is higher than both of those guys. It's not even close, in my opinion. And, you know, we'll see with Fultz and Simmons. I, I think Simmons especially has a, has a higher ceiling than those guys. He's going to have to answer some of his questions. But, yeah, the Sixers' core to me is has a much higher ceiling, and that's what they're that's what you're looking for in terms of can this team end up competing for titles. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's really defense. Like, if, if when's the last finals team or, or a legitimate contender that didn't have a top 20 defense? Because that, that's kind of where I see Boston being next year. And that's a it's a really tough model to build upon. It, it, it'll it be interesting to see how they address that. But, all right, let's move on to a little draft talk, which is a little weird because we're still 10 months away from the draft. And the information out there is, is small at best. Um, but there is, you know, we're still still about four weeks away from training camp. But, um, you know, you had some news in, you know, Bagley reclassifying. He's going to be available for the 2018 draft. That impacts the Sixers both because they have the number one pick. or <laughs> Didn't mean it that way. They have protection where if the pick lands number one, they keep it. But also because if the Lakers pick is six plus, they also keep it. And one more high-level prospect would push another talent down. So I guess... Any real thoughts on Bagley as a prospect? And any real thoughts of whether or not, you know, he's in contention for that number one pick and what that would mean in terms of pushing another option down to the Sixers? I, I'm really, really high on Bagley's game. I think he's the number one guy in this draft by a pretty decent margin. Um, and I think that, like, he's got so much of a, a few different players in his game, but a couple of the names that would come to mind would be Blake Griffin, Lamar Odom, a uh, little bit of Julius Randle, but, like, much, much better. And I think that, you know, he's just got all the tools that, that – like, like, I think that he's just what you would look to in a modern power forward center. Like, he, he I also would say he has a little tiny bit of Kevin Garnett in his game. And, he, like, he's just got – he fits the, the mold of the modern big man incredibly well. And if his jump shot does translate to the NBA, which it's it's looking pretty good as of right now, um, I do think he'll be a, a star in the league, potential top 10 or 15 player. And then when you kind of move down to Doncic and Porter, I think those are guys who I'm excited about as well, but I think there's a pretty considerable gap between Bagley and those two guys. Yeah, I, I don't really know enough about them. I mean, Doncic is the guy I've watched the most of just because he's been playing legitimate basketball for the longest. And really, I mean, those other guys are just high school players right now. Uh, Porter... I or uh, Porter, you know, I've seen in the, uh, you know, the McDonald's game and and those things. He looks like he looks like a pretty good prospect. I, I will agree, like just from the the YouTube I've watched, because again, Marvin Bagley was a freaking junior in high school as of a couple weeks ago. Uh, he looks really impressive, I, and and that that'll obviously, you know, with with the Sixers having this weird uh, scenario where they can only get the top pick or six or below next year, I, I think in general like that, that means that Bagley very well could be the guy if, if they are lucky enough to handle the top pick. 
But the the other thing is that he'll push another guy down to the Sixers if it's you know if the uh, if the Lakers end up exceeding expectations and that pick ends up in the six to ten range somewhere. That's a good thing because you know Bagley will, will shoot up to the top and a player will shoot down. Now I I'm not too crazy about next year's draft class to be honest with you guys because and, and it has nothing to do with the players I've seen. It has to do with all of the positions I'm seeing at the top. I'm seeing Doncic, who, who fits positionally, Bagley and Porter, not as much, but it seems like they're great talents. And then the rest of these guys are centers and power forwards, man, and the Sixers don't need that. So in, in general, like, if I'm the Sixers right now, I'm rooting for first pick or let the Celtics get their own, get the pick. Because the, the next year – Obviously, Bagley, I mean, that, that takes a hit to next year's class, too. But to have an unprotected pick with a, a class that seems to be a little more positionally balanced seems like the right play for the Sixers at this point. Yeah, I mean, like like Rich, you start getting into that guys who could be available at six, and you start getting into, like, you know, Robert Williams and Miles Bridges and, and some of these names that will surely change in the in the next ten months. But there's a lot of positional overlap. The Sixers just, they have, they have those spots filled. Um, I think, like Rich, you want either number one pick or you hope that Doncic falls. And I don't, you know, maybe that's a little more likely because you look at, I think a lot of people are going to look at Bagley and Michael Porter and look at them as higher upside guys. And I think there might be a little bit of little bit of truth of that. Um, so they're already talking about him maybe being three without even falling. Maybe something happens with Real Madrid where he, his playing time drops. I don't think that would really impact him all that much. He was playing you know, what, about 20, 25 minutes a game last year, and he's still thought of as a as a top three selection. But you hope that maybe he, he gets into a little bit of uh, disagreement with his coach, maybe something to artificially deflate his value. Not that you want him getting into arguments, but just something happens where maybe he can fall to six, and the Sixers pick ends up there because he's the one who really fits. Uh, and getting a, you know, the shooting guard of the future who can shoot like that, who can, you know, drive a little bit, who can really pass at an elite level for his position. That would be really fun to add to this core. But, I mean, I also don't see him necessarily being the number one pick. And I think he's going to end up in that two through five range where the Sixers want to select. So it would uh, you know, it'd be an, a, a great conversation to have. You almost wonder if you get the number one pick, you maybe even trade down because he fits so well. But we really can't answer that until we have a lot more information on these guys. Um, like Rich, Doncic is the one that I've certainly seen the most, being that he's played professionally. And his, you know, his full game tapes are much, much more readily available. Also, I just I love watching that style of play. And when you have the chance to watch Andre Bargnani too, how can you pass that up? So, Madrid is a great team to watch. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of fun names over there. Like Anthony Randolph, I think is on that team, and I think they have one or two other pros. But, uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I think that. I think that Doncic would be an unbelievably fun fit on the Sixers, and I did like. Can you imagine if that Lakers pick becomes number one next year and the Sixers have three consecutive number one picks on their roster? I would almost feel spoiled with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, then again, that happens sometimes with teams like the Celtics or the, the Cavs, and, yeah. and it doesn't always work. But then again, they traded them and they didn't end up working out, so who knows. Um, speaking of playing time, though, didn't, didn't Lowell go down with an injury? How serious was that? That Sorry. certainly would uh, – Sergio Lowell. Uh, I think oh, yeah, he had yeah. an injury recently, and that would certainly help Doncic get more playing time, which would kind of go against our interests. But um, yeah, torn ACL—that's a—that's a big, oh, wow. a big one. Um, 
So he should be featured quite a bit as an 18-year-old in the ACB, <laughs> which is not not typical. As a good team, 18-year-old on the ACB, you know, um, Porzingis played a big role for uh, Sevilla, but he was they were a pretty crap team. This is this is Madrid. They're they're a good team. It'll be interesting to watch. He's a he's a fun player. I would say a lot of those games end up on YouTube. Um, go check them out. I, I think if you're a Sixers fan, you will enjoy watching him. Uh, but I do think they're going to probably have to end up in that two through five range. Find a way to to trade into that if they really want to get him. Any other strong takes? I know there's really not a whole lot to talk about here, but uh, any I don't know schedule takes. Anybody really care about the schedule? Playing a game in London, that's kind of cool. Outside of the fact that if I want to cover it, I have to go to London. <laughs> Not that there's anything against London. I'm more talking about the transatlantic flight than I am London specifically. But Yeah, yeah. and, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just like, really, really amazed that uh, the uh, the bus, the process trip is <laughs> taken to the air this year. I think I just think that's awesome that <laughs> we have a couple, a, a few hundred fans that are willing to fly out for a whole weekend just to go and boo Malcolm Brogdon. <laughs> I think that's awesome. <laughs> Poor Malcolm. He didn't ask for this. Oh, man. <laughs> I, also, I also love the fact that Joel Embiid tagged something as shithole on Instagram, and next thing you know, it's Operation Shithole. That was, a, that was really well done by Spike. Yeah. <laughs> and then Embiid tried to say, and B tried to say, I remember after that, like on Twitter, he said, like, oh, like I was talking about my first half performance. Like, no, you weren't. You were talking about <laughs> Milwaukee. <laughs> Yeah, Spike, Spike did good naming that. Um, not quite as good with that bullshit press release he used for um, for 94 WIP where he, in a press release, he got in that, that his podcast was the only Sixers podcast. <laughs> Other than that, thank you, Spike, for adding, um, you know, myself and Kyle and a whole bunch of guys to, to the WIP team. Uh, that That's nice, but next time work on the, uh, work on the press release. But, um, yeah, I don't think I have any more real takes uh, outside of that. It's, Hard for me to get too uh, too hot taking in the middle of of August, but um, you can't you can't analyze an NBA schedule like it's, it's the same as as every other one. You just oh man, there's a lot of road games in November. Right. Oh yeah, well yeah, there's a lot of home games in January. Like right. you know, all right, <laughs> it, it was crazy. I think they have the toughest schedule in both October, November, and January, but then like a 23rd schedule in like December and February. It's 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 really inconsistent, but I would guess that's probably pretty common. Um, I was I was actually pretty amazed that I think we have fourteen national yeah. nationally te- televised games. That's the league is pretty confident in uh, in Embiid's health. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, that was the biggest part about it. Fourteen real nationally televised, right? Not even NBA games, TV, not games. NBA TV. I don't count that, but but TNT, ESPN, yeah, they're <laughs> the league is definitely betting on the Sixers taking. At least a step as far as interest this year. So, especially because like they were a letdown last year. Like they had the one game against the Lakers, and I think they were really hoping to see the Simmons Ingram matchup. Well, then they had the Carl Anthony Towns matchup, which was an abomination. Right. Yeah. So they're reading up on the Sixers, which is which is great to see. They yeah. must have. Uh, they must have loved that Houston game when when Embiid was healthy, and it was honestly it was the last game he played. But but I. I think they saw the atmosphere there, and then maybe the Oklahoma City opener too a little bit. They they saw, hey, you know, <laughs> this can go bad, but but when it's good, this guy's a lot of fun to watch. So, do uh, do we have a new pet of the podcast? Is there a bird I hear? 
Yeah, it's a little, little bird outside my window. Here. Oh, it's not like it's not like a you know your own bird. No, no, no. Okay, that's a shame. Uh, we don't. We 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 need a rebel. Uh, we do. Kyle's dog sometimes jumps in, but it's not not nearly as frequent or as um, disruptive as Rebel is. So I was, I was hopeful there that we had a a mascot that we could awkwardly bring to a uh, to a a lottery party and and have people pet, but. That is apparently not the case. We could invest in one. We could invest in one. <laughs> um, all right. I think that's probably about it. Once again, uh, really excited for what we have coming up. Launch date for The Athletic Philadelphia is September 5th. Head on over to theathletic.com slash Philly. Follow Rich on Twitter, Rich underscore Hoffman. Follow Mike on Twitter, M O'Connor underscore NBA. Thank you guys for jumping on, and we'll be talking to you a bunch throughout the season. Right. See you guys. See you guys. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBowlers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co.